Hi, welcome everybody. This is Glenn Caruso broadcasting from University of Georgia, Grady College of Communications, PR and Advertising and Marketing. This is our podcast featuring three different speakers who will let introduce themselves. Today we're going to be talking about marketing technology. We'll be talking about working on the ad agency side, the consultancy side, and the brand side. A few of the topics we'll be discussing is product marketing, customer experience, chief technology officer responsibilities, and much, much more. What we'll do is we've got three guests here. We've got Love Hudson Maggio from Mardat. She's the CEO and founder. It's a consultancy that does both marketing technology implementation and strategy work, as well as data work for major brands and corporations like Summit Health. We also have here who is Andy Chang. He's the VP of Marketing at Summit Health. They have a number of tools and specialists and emergency room clinics around the country. They were just acquired by Walgreens, which is looking for a medical component of specialists to incorporate into their business. So he'll be talking about the work he's doing with Love, Love Maggio's company on marketing technology and strategy. Last but not least, we've got Edie Kirkman, who is a chief digital officer, chief product officer, and chief technology officer. And she's worked at some incredible companies like Pfizer, UPS, and others. She's had a varied career. What we'll be talking to is about 12 students here at the university who are all advertising, PR, and marketing majors looking to get into the field. The purpose of this podcast is for the students to be able to understand the different roles within marketing, agency side, consultancy, brand, marketing technology vendors who are selling software to these companies, and really understand what these roles are, what they do. We'll also talk about their career progression and how they got to where they are today and how their different roles built upon each other to lead them to be the executives they are today. Last but not least, we'll be, we'll be talking to them about their recommendations for how they would approach a job search if they were a student leaving college today. So with that, I'd like to give a big round of applause for uh, I, I think I'd like to start off with, I'll, I'll let you each introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do, and then I've got a, a set of questions to ask. My name is Love Hudson Maggio, and I am the CEO and founder of Martech Consultancy. We are a boutique Martech and data consultancy, and in essence, we help our clients unbox their Martech solutions, make sense of those, and then also drive ROI from that. So... My whole slogan is, if it doesn't make money, it doesn't make sense. So it has to, to make money. Hi, everybody. My name is Edie Kirkman. I am a chief product and chief digital officer. And what that basically means is that I help companies build products that people, one, actually want to use to improve whatever life experiences that they need, whether at work or at home. And number two is that these products, people have to be willing to pay your company for. So again, making that money to make sure that you can actually create something that people desire. Cool. And hey guys, my name is Andy Chang, VP of Marketing at Summit Health slash City MD slash now Village MD. And that's it. 
That's me. Terrific. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, three. I'm sure this is going to be an exciting session today. What I'd like to do is go with each of you, sort of your career progression. They've uh, Each of the students has done a deep profile in you, so they've looked oh. at your LinkedIn, anything that's on publicly available. Um, so, yeah, for good, for better or worse, right? And uh, But I'd like to have you talk a little bit about your career progression from getting out of school or getting your MBA or undergrad and sort of how each position, next position, built on the position before. So really, what was that progression, and what did you learn from each role? Like, Edie, you had, I mean, you all have fascinating backgrounds, but yours, going from developer to product, to like just constantly moving up, and you too, and all of you. So love to hear love, love to hear about where you started, and sort of what you learned, and how you got to where you are today, and Absolutely. what you do, you know, in Absolutely. each role. So I graduated from Miami University in Ohio, and I was a double major. I was an English major, English and political science major with a a minor in history. And my parents were not happy about that because I went to a school that was known for business and known for economics, and I was an English major. So they forecasted that I would end up living on their sofa forever. But I thought, look, I'm going to do what I love doing, and I love to read, and I love to write. And uh, I did end up in a situation where I didn't know what I was going to do with those majors at the end. And I graduated early, so I did a year of graduate school working on my master's slash PhD. And uh, I decided I didn't want to do that. So I became a teacher, and I decided I didn't love that so much. So while I was a teacher teaching 12th grade English, And it was challenging teaching Beowulf to 12th graders who did not care. (laughs) I started learning technology. I started getting certified in Microsoft, and I started teaching the district about Microsoft. So I realized that I was really good at explaining very difficult things in a very simple manner. And I became a technical writer for very large corporations. And from there, I became a technical trainer. And then I ended up in marketing technology. I got a job at DoubleClick, which became Google. And then from there, kind of took off, working from some of the largest companies, Warner Media, Intercon. And the list kind of goes on. And I learned a little bit from every one of those jobs about the technology, how to communicate that in an efficient way, and the processes behind that. But the biggest thing was how to build relationships with other people, how to get along with other people, and how to get things solved. And I think that that probably was the best thing that I learned. I studied a lot about how to deal with difficult people, how to move processes along, how to not be that difficult person in in the team. And that kind of helped me later on when I took a job at Intercon and Salesforce, when I really learned the, the technology that I was most passionate about. And I saw the gaps where people just didn't quite understand what they had purchased or why they had purchased it and like how to make that easier and smoother for people to be able to actually generate revenue. And that's kind of where I built my consultancy from that, that whole ethos. Make it easy. I love your background and I have kind of similar stories and that we were just talking earlier today about how you have to commit now and you have to know like what you're going to do in your major, like right when you're a freshman and because in second year you start to take major classes. Well, my background is similar to Love's where it's a meandering path as well to kind of figure out what you want to do and it's perfectly okay. I know your parents are like, you got to find something, you got to stick with it, but it's 
perfectly okay if you're curious and then you want to discover new things. And I took eight years to go do my undergrad because I started at a junior college and and then because I had paid for it by myself and I was working full time. And so it was like, okay, every place I went, they did some like tax, like a federal education kind of program through the employer. And so I, I kind of took it as a hobby, you know, like every semester I took like two classes and I said, okay, I'll, I'll take two at least and you know, I'll go through and you know how long that takes. And so I went through junior college and I was in sales. I did inside sales and I was like, okay, I'm good at it, but so boring because it's like, once you sell something, you got to go do it again <laughs> to people, more people. And then these quotas, once you get good at it, they keep increasing your sales quotas and you're like, how is this doubling right now? I have to sell more people the exact same thing and then tell them the same stories over and over again. And so even though I was good at it, I was like, that's not for me. And so during college, I actually got a job as a technical recruiter because they actually paid you a good amount of money and you basically worked as hard as you can because you made money off of placing people. So I got to interview lots of people that were, they were doing technology things. And, and then I was like, what, what do you do? How much do you make doing that? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so basically it was like my own discovery into <laughs> what kind of career I wanted. And one day I interviewed these folks, they're called business analysts. And, and then we're like, I was like, what do you do? And they said, oh, I pretty much listen to people and I document what they say. And I was like, well, hell, I can do that today. You know, I think I can do that job. I can write down what people say and listen intently and then make sure it's right. And, and so I started to interview for jobs as a business analyst. And I was in college and I was like, I want to do something in technology. I majored in computer information systems while I was doing this recruiting job because it seems like the right market situation. It was like before 2000, before the dot bomb crash, before Y2K which nothing happened. And, uh, and, and then there was a boom during that time. And then people were just kind of like ferociously hiring for tech. You see these kind of like rise and falls. And that was a point of where things rose. And, and then people were really willing to give you a shot because there was a shortage in the job market. And I interviewed UP with UPS. And they, they're such a great company in terms of like picking people for who they are and not necessarily for what they've done. And I interviewed with a manager and he looked at my resume with a bunch of sales stuff on it and retail. And he's like, I don't know what any of this stuff is. And he put my resume down. <laughs> and and, he, and he's like, he's like, but I like you. So, so I'm going to have you do a technical interview with my QA lead. I was like, technical interview. And then he just asked me a bunch of, they, got, they were so nice. They were just asking me a bunch of questions of how do you work with people? How do you solve problems? And at the end of the day, like, I realized that's really what's important. It's not what you know. If it's really about your thinking process and how you work through things, that's actually more important. So they actually hired me. They, they left me a voicemail like two days later and they said, we have a job offer for you. And my, my husband, that was my boyfriend at the time, he's like, you got a voicemail. They want to make you an offer. And I was like, what? <laughs> so that's how I got into technology. So just try it when you go out there. It don't matter. You, don't, you just never know. By chance, somebody you might meet and you make a connection and they give you a shot, right? Like we all got great shots from somebody of something that we were never able to do. And, and then I did the same thing. I tried. That was my way in. And I was into technology side. And to grow your career, you have to like do some coding and things like that. And I didn't love that. I did it. I was like, I could do it. 
I don't love it. And there's so many people that can do it so much better than me. And, and there was one product that I worked on and I knew it was not going to work because nobody wanted this thing. And the business said, don't worry about it. We were going to build this online store. And yes, we're going to charge more for shipping than the box cost. Yes. Oh. <laughs> and, then, and then so I'm like, I'm not savvy at that moment. I'm still in school, but I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> so we built this product and guess what? Totally failed. Totally failed. It was a beautiful product. I did all this work and my team did all this work and it was all for naught. And then that's the day where I was like, okay, I need to figure out how do I get onto the business side and not the tech side? Because no matter how well you build something, if it doesn't hit the mark, then it was complete waste of time and energy and money. And, and then that's when I said, okay, I'm going to get a master's degree. It took eight years to do my undergrad. I fast-tracked my master's degree. I did it in like, I was like, I, I can't, I can't be in this school for like <laughs> in school for over 10 years in a row. So I actually fast-tracked it. And then I did go to UGA Terry and when they had a campus in Gwinnett. And and I did that one in like right around two years. And master's takes like two and a half. I actually doubled up and did all that. I was like, I just need to get done. So I can actually get a job doing something that I think that really matters and that I can contribute to. So I did a bunch of different jobs with design. Different people give me chances to move a little bit closer to the business. So from technology, I got to manage UI, UX, content, usability. I learned tremendous amount. And then one day I finally got to be a product manager of something that got sunset. And over that, you, you do a good job, you show up, you try to figure out and then add value. And then I got to grow my career. Eventually, I got to be a product manager of a product that was actually going to move forward, <laughs> that, you, that you proved yourself. So over time, that's where I, how I got to my path. And it's kind of path very much like yours. And just stay curious and then try to figure out how do you add value each step of the way. Cool. So you're like the Jake Fromm of <laughs> digital, <laughs> except you, you did more school than he did. Uh, okay. So, I, uh, so mine was very straightforward. I was going to be a doctor. Were <laughs> you really? Yeah. So right. now I'm in marketing. Very... But healthcare. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in healthcare, healthcare now, yeah. which, my, love. which my parents still do not accept. So yes, I did the traditional Asian route. <laughs> and was told I was going to be a doctor my whole life. Went to school, did pre-med, and then survived. And, and my junior year, I think, are you guys juniors or seniors or freshmen or froms? No? <laughs> seniors? Okay. All right. Um, junior year, I was like, okay, I survived organic chemistry. Now it's like the fun stuff. Now I get to learn the real bio, and I freaking hated it even more and it hated me back even more oh you know what i'm going through no okay uh, yeah and so i'm like okay so midlife crisis at 19 and then or 20 and then i decided maybe i'll just meander maybe I'll, my dad's like how about computer science how about math and i hated those too and then my friend said what about advertising i'm like okay i'll try that and then I went to a state school, like you guys, and if I, you want to switch majors in your junior year after you've declared, you're going to pull another Edie or Jake from, right? <laughs> and so, I really like Jake. So uh, I'm like, you know what, him. I'm just going to get the hell out of here and just graduate as fast as I humanly can and go into marketing. So that was 2000, 2001, dot 
dot-com bubble burst, mm-hmm. got an offer to work for this company. It was a crazy idea. This company was a startup, and in, in, this was in the Bay Area, where they decided, you know what, we're going to start categorizing these things called websites, and we're going to measure how many people go to them and sell that data. And, and it was called Nielsen, well, net ratings, <laughs> and, then, and then Nielsen. And so my job was to, like, this is a, an automotive site. This is an adult site. This is a sports site. And so just like cataloging all these different things. And I'm like, you know what? I kind of like this. And then they took my offer away for for a full-time offer. I was an intern there. And then like, okay, maybe I'll just go back to my major, which was molecular and cell bio. And since I couldn't get a job, I got a job doing genomic research in a lab for about three years, which I hated. Um, And it was the worst. (laughs) Uh, It was like, dealing with little pipettes of DNA and RNA and putting it into a stem cell onto a mouse. And then you take the mouse and you kill it. And you do the neck snap, which you pull the tail, put the head on the table. You take the tail and you snap it so it's break its neck. Or you can do, if it's a brain study, you put it in a carbon dioxide box and dissect it. And I'm like, I fucking hate this. <laughs> so, so I'm like, I got to get out. And then to work for another startup, which is a crazy idea. This is 2003. They had this concept where you have these things called mobile phones now, <laughs> and that, like Nokia 5290s. Stinking. Yep. And we're going to build a store where you can buy these things called apps <laughs> and download it onto your phone. And this is like black and white, no screens. And, and so I worked there and I loved it. And so they tried to keep me, but I decided to get a formal education in business because I had no idea what business was. I went to business school and then went to marketing after that working for the airline industry, and then UPS, and then now in healthcare, just doing marketing and focusing on analytics and data, not creative. I thought I wanted to be creative. I thought I wanted to be a creative, and then I met creative people. I'm like, nope. <laughs> they actually know like, how to be funny and how to draw and how to like edit video. And I like I make websites. So long story short, I totally meandered. And at the end of the day, it all depends on what value you bring and, and how you build relationships and honestly offering something that no one else can and making yourself unique, just supply and demand, right? There's always going to be a demand for something. How do you make yourself rare in that supply category? And people will want you. So, yeah, that's that's me. Absolutely. That's terrific. That's terrific. Well, let me ask you, just to find out, I I try to expose the students to the different roles within the industry. I'd love to hear about, like, what is your, what do you do, like, day to day? Yeah, what is your typical day like? And also, what are the strengths, abilities, characteristics you need to be really, really good at what you do? The reason I ask that is so they can filter through their own lens. Yeah, I'm good at that, too. Because there's so many jobs, all the roles that you're doing, they don't even know about. They're not taught in school. They're too new. So I'd love to know about that day-to-day and then strengths needed to be really good. So for me, I I love technology. I, I think one of the jobs that really got me going where I said, wow, this is it, was when I worked at Google. I, I was like, man, this is is fun. I mean, they had great branding and it was flashy and it was, I'm older, so it was the kind of the heyday of it and it was great parties and I'm because that was important then. <laughs> Just, you know, great customers. You don't know anything about that here. No, not that. <laughs> New York. I was in New York at the time and we were at the Waldorf Astoria for Christmas parties and it was just awesome. It was a really, really fun time. And I, but I did love the technology and I love the innovation. 
And I love the creativity of sitting down with the different clients and hearing the use cases of why they wanted a thing. Why do you want this particular technology? And so I've always been a little bit like a Nancy Drew with technology. I want to know why do you want this and what problem are you actually trying to solve and what would make you happy at the end of it, right? So that was always kind of a thing for me. And that's from if your dog's lost and you want me to help you find it and like that, it doesn't matter what it is. I wanted to solve a problem for people. And so... For me, the day in the life is sitting with my team. We do stand-ups because we come from like the agile technology type of get things done process. So we have a 20-minute stand-up. Usually it goes 30 minutes because we chat. But it's a 30-minute to 20-minute stand-up every day except for Fridays because nobody wants to do that, right? And we talk about, A, what you're working on. And then I want to know what challenge you're having with this not going fast enough or if it is going fast enough and what success you're getting out of it or what is really hard for you. So for me, I like to know what is the problem? How can I help you solve the problem? And then that trickle down to the client. What is their problem? Why are we actually even doing these things? Because I feel like if you're putting any effort into your career or any problem that you're solving, it needs to be worth it. What is the payoff at the end? Because nobody's doing it for nothing. You could be doing it for the joy. That's something, right? Like, I just want to have a good time. You go to the party because you want to have a good time. Or you go to the party because you want to see somebody. The same thing with work. Why do you do the thing you do? And I like to help people define why they're doing it. Because that's what keeps you employed. That's what keeps you in a position to keep doing the things you're doing. And that's the thing that drives you in the morning when you get up. Like, if it's just, I mean, we all talked about jobs that we didn't like. And we've all had those jobs where it's literally a drudge. And you're just like, I'm just trying to do this paycheck. I'm just trying to get these benefits. I'm just trying to get to the weekend. But if you can find something that you are passionate about and it's using that special gift that you all have, that is that's the thing you want to get to. And you guys all know what that is. It's like maybe like a little seedling in your mind now. But as you take on different jobs and different opportunities and different internships, which I encourage people to do internships because it gives you an opportunity. Something's going to light up and you're going to get excited. For me, it's solving a problem and helping people do that. My love language is acts of service. So I just want to I want to help. And my husband has said, you can't do stuff for free anymore. So, like, then I started a business and I actually charge people for it. So what would you say are the biggest strengths that you need oh. and abilities and qualities that you think you need to be, that make you so good in what you do? I think you have to not give up, right? And a lot of people, they'll look at data and they'll look at something that's just on the face, like, oh, you purchase X, Y, and Z product. And they'll say, oh, they want to solve this kind of problem. Go a little bit deeper. Be willing to work a little bit harder and kind of chip away at that and really, really get to understand and get close to it, as close as you can. So I feel like in order to really do a good job at something, you need to learn it. If you're selling software, you better learn it. Be an expert. Get certified. Don't talk about stuff you don't know because people will figure that out. 80% of people won't figure it out, but the 20% will know and you'll look like a fraud and that's not a place you want to be. So I feel like anything that you're talking about, that you're selling, that you're around, that you're working with, don't have that high level understanding of it. Go deeper, which means you got to work a little harder. And when you work a little bit harder, then it shows and you need to worry about how you're going to get promoted because people are going to seek you out. I want that person. 
and they're going to promote you. And you're, and if they don't, you're going to go somewhere else and somebody else is going to promote you. It works out fine. But go a little deeper. Be willing to work a little bit harder. Be willing to work a little bit harder than other people. I don't mean stay there all night, come in in the morning and be that person. I mean, when you're working on something, be committed to it. That's what I think. Right. Thank you. That was terrific. And Edie, your role is so interesting. We were we were talking a few weeks ago about it as like chief digital officer, chief product officer. But like with the chief digital officer role, you talk about your role day to day and and what you do and, and the strengths you need to be really good. There's two components of it. One is really your customer enablement. And that's where the product comes in. What do we build for our customers and why? The most important, like, why? And also, why us? Why, why are we the folks that's supposed to satisfy this customer's needs in this particular moment? And does this moment even make sense in our customer journey? If our customer journey is like retail shopping and that kind of stuff, and are we really there to resolve their credit card disputes? No. Right. Like we can assist in returns and things like that. But how far do we take it? How far do we extend it? And and then the digital part is really a company enablement to support your customers. So it's all of your technology. And it's from PR perspective and things like that moving forward. Like you're going to promote a lot about how companies do things like, hey, we have a new tech stack. We're cloud based. Like, well, what does all that really mean? Right. And it's really about figuring out. What's the most efficient way, the safest way, the fastest way, and also the way that's designed that makes the most amount of sense for your customers to actually use your products? So those are the two sides because I think I've had a fortune or misfortune. Either way, it's all your path to where you are now in figuring out where you want to be. But I've had the experience to be on the technology side. I started off with the IT groups. And then later on, I did UI, UX. I later on did the product. So it's great to have that depth and breadth 360 experience to be able to bring it all together for a company because it's a rare skill. Just kind of like what Andy was saying, like not many people does this because usually you're either sticking through one camp, the business product camp or the technology camp. And, and then it's these two type of left brain, right brain activities working together is where, how I deliver value to my customers, which are end users of products like you guys book hotels before and ship something before. And so you're my end customers as well. And then in addition, the company is also my customer. And, and I would say that when it comes down to it's two things, one is constantly be curious, always ask questions because you know why the best person that asks the most insightful questions sometimes are the people that really stand out. Like you're not just asking dumb questions. You're asking questions to provoke thought, check for understanding, check for mutual understanding. So even as a young person, if you're in a room and you ask great questions, that would make you stand out as well. And then the other part is really disciplined. Be disciplined because you have to do the same thing consistently, whatever the thing is, right? You do the something consistently to bring the quality that you need to what you do. You bring the pride of what you do and you show up every day. And I think that that is something that's really integral in how just I bring success to me and my teams and then to the products that we create for people. 
And that was terrific. Andy, what do you think? Yeah, What's your data that was all really good. My <laughs> day-to-day. Bad. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> I'll just see more bad words. Bleep <laughs> it. Bleep it. That's fine. So, okay, if I was... Okay, my day-to-day is, is very... I mean, it's just different every day, which makes it interesting. Like, we're hiring and we're not hiring or letting people go and you have to be involved in that. And then you have to be involved in strategy. Then you have to be involved in results meetings and structure meetings and just a lot of meetings. But, and then, and then email, <laughs> respond to your emails. And then, so that's like a typical day. It's made it sound really boring, but, but I think what Love and Edie said was just spot on. If I were in your shoes today, are you guys all marketing, PR, ad majors? Okay, cool, good. So you're already ahead of me. For sure. <laughs> that's for sure. So that's good. Second is, again, I'm just going to repeat a lot of what they say because I, I think they're so spot on. Just know your shit. Own it. If if there is a new thing. I, I got lucky because this was when web and data was just, especially marketing, was not even a thing. And I just happened to love it. And I was one of the few that actually knew it. And all of a sudden, now data is just completely integrated into everything in marketing and and so i got to ride that wave because i wanted to really understand it i really dug into it i really made myself as like this marketing data nerd kind of person and people like oh we need more nerds like you and so getting promoted or hired or poached was getting easier because again very high demand low supply so what is that thing is it going to be for is it going to be ai is it going to be Automation? Is it going to be? I don't know. I thought Bitcoin was the next thing. <laughs> uh, TikTok, maybe. I don't know. But whatever it is that you guys want to own, you guys need to really own it and go deeper. And then the most important thing, well, two most important things is focusing on results. Because if you can't tell anyone the results of what your work is, and by results, I mean quantifying it, like we had X percent of lift over whatever, or we generated this many leads or this many dollars, if you can't say that, then no one's going to care about what you say, especially your boss, because your boss is hired and that boss and that boss's boss is hired to bring results. And if you can't deliver results for your boss, then you're useless. So focus on results, be the expert, and then you're always selling. Uh, Edie, I think, had an amazing experience, even though ISR jobs aren't the most fun inside sales aren't the most fun, but you're constantly selling and you have to always be selling internally to your boss. Your boss is your biggest customer and your boss wants results. And if you can't tell a good story and how you contributed to that and why you think this worked or this didn't work, then you're just another set of hands as opposed to someone who's standing out. So that's kind of the only other thing I might add, just making sure that you're not feeling like, I know this is very old, okay boomer of me to say but like don't feel like you've earned a certain promotion or job because you've been there a certain amount of time or whatever just you got to prove your worth why did the company invest in you and what's the return that they're getting and you got to show it you got to prove it with numbers and if you're going to offer an opinion i deal with opinions all the time make sure it's based in fact which means based in some type of data is it a proof point is it a data point is it a survey is it something make sure it's anchored to something that is very factual. And that's why your opinion came as opposed to just someone just offering opinion. Like, I think this orange cup sucks. <laughs> why? Because I don't like the color orange, right? And like, well, do customers like it? Or do we do surveys? Do we do any UX or UI testing on whatever? And what did they say? So again, based on fact.
which comes from data. So learn how to use numbers, tell stories with numbers, and produce numbers. That's great. Let me ask you about, and like you said something, I mean, you also insightful things, but you said you have to be able to talk about how you add value. How did you, getting out of school, it may have been different for you, Andy, all three of you, how did you determine what your strengths, inherent strengths were, and how did you relate that into a story? Like you told, you, have to, you, you all had said, it has to be told in a story so it's compelling. How did you learn your strengths and then what kind of story did you make that into? And, and for the students, so they can say, these are my strengths, but let me give you an example. Coming up with compelling one-minute stories that'll sell yourself. So I'd love to hear about that. Andy, I'll start with you. Yeah, you learn your strengths through trial and error. <laughs> you think you're good at something. I thought I was creative. And then I met creative people. And I'm like, nope. And then I thought I was going to be a doctor. And, and like, nope. So trial and error. You just try different things. And you just go in on it. And, and then you, you realize you're not good at it. Then great. And then from that, once you realize what your strengths are, mine is being able to work with people and, and also be able to question um, things that people give opinions on and also try to give an opinion on things based on, again, based on data and results. And then you just honestly practice. I know it sounds corny, but you just need to practice. Like, this is my strength. This is how I know it's my strength. And this is what I've done with my strength. And refine that story over and over and again. And if you're interviewing at a company that they ask you an interview question about whatever, make your pre recorded or rehearsed story molded into that question like any PR politician would do. They ask you about this, but you know what? I want to talk about this and you mold it in and it's rehearsed and it's practiced and it's quantified and short and sweet. And so that's that's really it. It's a lot of discipline. I don't have a lot of discipline, but it's a lot of discipline, honestly. I will say sometimes you have these moments in your life where you're experiencing something and then you're actually like kind of looking at yourself from a completely different perspective while in that moment. I don't know if you've ever like almost like out of body. I remember I was at UPS and I was a business analyst. So, so that's my first job in technology. And I basically wrote down requirements from what people wanted and then translate it into technical specs where the development team can code it. And, and I work really great with the designer group. And uh, because I, I found like, oh, I love UI. Like all these words, I just wrote down like 32 pages of it and then they made it into a screen. Like how awesome is that with buttons and things like that? And it actually looks beautiful. And, and I was like, that is super cool. And, and then I remember one day, I was sitting at my desk typing some stuff in the, on my computer and kind of the UX director and one of the system architects, they were standing like next to me. I was sitting and I was typing and then they were talking right behind me and, and they were arguing over something. And it got like started getting loud because we we're sitting in cubicles. And I was like, hey, you guys are actually arguing and saying the exact same thing. Do you, like, you're actually agreeing. Do you realize that? She was saying, oh, it needs to be this way specifically. And he's like, well, but technology-wise, it has to be this way. And I'm like, yes, it actually meshes. Like, what he wants, what you want is actually the same thing. But they just spoke different languages. One spoke the language of color and design and human interactions. And the other one's talking about, like, backend, APIs, the architecture, the calls that we're going to make, and the latency. 
And then I realized, like, I'm a translator of a foreign language to each other. I speak the language what people want in business layman terms and also can speak the language of technology. And so that's when I realized, like, oh, maybe this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to help translate the very, very technical things in reality to achieve something simple that people want to do. So that was that moment that I realized, like, okay, maybe this is the space I should be in. And then how do I work towards that? And the other thing is really, I love what he said about knowing your strengths. And that actually worked with the team when I was at IHG. And when I came into this team, everybody was super talented, but they were always very fatalistic, like, because they were been working in this company for a long time. And they're like, oh, we, sh-, you know, I was like, oh, we could do this and that. They're like, oh, no, nobody's ever going <laughs> to let you do that. You don't know how things work around here. And, and then I just got there. I'm like, we're, we're going to change everything. Like, we can't be doing this anymore. Right. Love was with me too. Yes. Like we got hired because we're game changers. Yeah. And then and then and then they're just looking at us like we're crazy. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, you don't know how there's PMOs. <laughs> they basically tell you what to do. What's and, a PMO? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> program. We didn't listen. Yeah. We didn't listen to anybody. Yeah, like, we didn't whatever. Know. We're, yeah. Love and I were like program management offices. <laughs> they're like, they're like, we have charters, we have priorities no, we have schedules we those. have scope and those. then yeah, yeah. But, like none just, of us like those yeah just, none just, of us we would and, go in a room and plan our own thing yeah <laughs> we're, we're like we're like after the pmo meeting let's go <laughs> let like forget about their timelines because that's just nonsense numbers we could get it done way faster without all those people in the room and then so i thought like what do we do about this incredibly talented group of people that don't feel like they can mobilize themselves into action and so I and me, I had a partner, we were both directors there. And we said, well, let's do some kind of personal development, self-development. So we picked strength finders, Clifton strength finders. They all have had to yes. do strength finders yes. as part of this class. Awesome. So so I found that super fascinating. I hired a coach to come and coach us on strength finder, do the assessment. But then I was bugging this man like all the time, asking him a million questions because I was super curious about it. And then I was like, you know what? I was like, there's a class that's coming to get certified in Atlanta in like two weeks. I would tell my boss, I was like, hey, maybe I'll sign up for that class and then I'll get myself certified and I can coach our team. I signed up. He didn't say anything. I signed up. He used like expensed it. Of course. Of course. That's what we did. Yeah. And, 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 and then like third week, he's like, where were you last week? And I was like, oh, I told you about that class. I signed up and I'm, I'm going to start coaching the team. No, he's like, you did? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I told you about it. You kind of said, okay. <laughs> I took that as you a yes. No. I took that as a yes. And then that was actually a miraculous thing because we learned the language of our talent. So I would encourage you all to go back and figure out how to leverage that. How do you focus and hone in on your talent? And how do you introduce that talent in whatever that you love to do, whether it's work or play or sports or program that's a club, whatever it is, think about that. And then think about how do you tap into it? How do you grow with it? And most important of all, because that's the thing that's authentic to you, how you show up and what you bring to every job. And so I love that what you said about like knowing what your strengths are. Yeah. 
And how do you use that towards how you want to achieve a particular outcome and back it up and show people that you actually achieved it, right? That, and then that's where your credibility and your strength comes from. So for me, it's always learning. Be weary of the person who is the self-proclaimed expert because it's just not a real thing. Real experts and people that are really talented in what they do, they're always learning. They're always the student. They're always curious. They're always asking questions. And they don't go into the room like they're the smartest person in the room. Be afraid of that person. If that's a salesperson or a technical person or a business person, be really, really afraid of that person. And I, I learned that, I think, more so in business school. When I was getting my executive MBA, there were people there. They were CMOs and CTOs and SVPs and all that. At the time, I was a director or whatever. Right? I never got hung up on the titles. And I was there as a student, but not just a student of business, but a student of how business worked. And for me, I think what I could offer up for you guys is, Always be learning and always be learning the things that you enjoy, right? So there's going to be some stuff you're like, oh, I just got to get through. But try to find a career or a job or an internship that you are interested in, that you can bring your special talent. And don't be afraid to speak up. I mean, you're not going to always get an employer who's going to care. I'm sorry. They're just not all going to care. But when you find that one that will actually listen to you, then you know you've got something good. And bring your best story. That's that's what I just always feel. Anyone that always comes to me in an interview that says, I love data. I'm like, <laughs> you have to always like say, oh, I love data. I love data. I love data. I'm like, show it. Yeah. And then you just ask them one question. They're like, oh, I don't know. Any of they fell apart. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, like the How should they answer uh, it? If you were going to answer it, just yeah. give an example answer. If, if, when they said... Instead of saying, I love data. Yeah, so know, know your customer, in this case, the interviewer or your boss, right? Yeah. Or your coworker or whoever it is. And where, what angle are they coming from? So why are they asking this question? Is it because it's a, it's a BI role or is it because it's an IT role or whatever? And you tell them, talk to them about how you either built a database and had someone like Mardat come and help connect it to your marketing tool? And then what were the results that you got from that? So we had an increase in, or a decrease in whatever, opt-outs or increase in lead gen or what have you. And it was all connected through APIs or it was a flat file, like speak their language if that's what they're looking for. But but absolutely stay humble. Like the, I don't know, one of my favorite philosophers is this guy named Kendrick Lamar. <laughs> one of my favorite songs is called Humble. Yes, Humble, yes. Yep. Absolutely. Just be humble. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. It's true. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's I, I think a lot of people worry about the title, what people think of them. If you're doing what you love and you're actually helping people, then you're going to get all the things that you're supposed to get. You know, and you don't even have to, to, to try. You're going to get it. And I would say the purpose of most jobs is the relationships. That's it. Because you're not going to be there forever, unfortunately, but you're going to make really great friends and these people are going to be there for you, with you, and always be going back to them and having coffee breaks and just, hey, let's talk about this AI thing and how it's checked. What do you think? What's your thoughts? I do that all the time. And we just make each other smarter. And when you get on a job or you get on a client project and you're confused for a second, go reach back into your friendships and your colleagues and employers and old clients and ask them their opinion. People are willing to give you their insight. And that's how you get those stories. That's how you get real use cases. Because it's really not about a technology or a platform. It's about how does this problem get solved in real life and how does it make money? 
That's what it is. Solve it, make money. We're in America. This is capitalism. I wish I could tell you something different. <laughs> Along the way, you can make some friends. You can have fun, go to some parties. But you, you got to be making money or it doesn't make sense. Yeah. I pulled up my strengths finder. Yeah. Because... I have this Dropbox where I keep all of my personality assessments. <laughs> the last time I took it was 2009, where you guys were, oh no. Seven. <laughs> Six. They don't know what AOL is. Uh, okay. I, I mean, but so, it's a new generation. Yeah. <laughs> what did your personality profiles come out in, from Strength Finders and from these? Oh, like, yeah. what, did, what did they show you? We, we actually have some of the common things. Oh, oh, dude. Yeah. I'm a learner, belief, responsibility, individualization, and achiever. I don't remember what those mean. But oh, that sounds like yeah. me. Oh, really? <laughs> cool. You want to know what my love languages are? I have it here, too. Words of affirmation and receiving gifts and then physical touch, access, service, quality time. <laughs> oh, it is gifts. That's totally me. Thank you. <laughs> You're great. <laughs> That's so nice. I like this profile and everything. Yeah. I know. very organized. I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not. You're disciplined putting stuff in that folder. I'm disciplined about cool, like, things to talk about at parties. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. This is all about marketing, and, and we talk about digital disruption and digital transformation. What does digital transformation mean, and why is it important to marketers? So I know people talk a lot about the latest things, and they talk about AI, and they talk about transformation as if something, all these big things are going to happen. But I personally think that you have to know the history before you can actually do anything that's disruptive. So there has to be a respect for what happened beforehand. So I cut my teeth a lot on programmatic digital marketing. But before it was programmatic and it was automated, it there were fax machines, and you guys maybe never have seen that before. It's a real thing. There's fax <laughs> machines that they would, literally the marketing agencies would send over their order. We want to buy X, Y, I used to work on the publisher side, and we would put the ads on the websites and um, and people would actually literally send them into us as a fax like this is our order we want to be on your website for this many weeks and we're going to pay this amount of money and we take it off the fax and we process it and go in the system <laughs> then it became automated it's a real thing yeah. uh, listen, yeah. I'm in healthcare <laughs> we still use faxes today do you? yeah oh, okay I'm sorry it's legal <laughs> being in healthcare regulated industry really we use a lot we get hundreds of thousands of faxes it's secure because there's only one machine that can print it out right now. Yeah. Right, true. That's it. Yeah. But I just personally feel like you have to know the history. So it's important to learn marketing and the origin story. People ask questions like direct mail. Oh, nobody ever does that. But I actually worked for Cox for eight years and I headed up their digital marketing. And I'm here to tell you that. Valpac, which is their company with the, you guys still get the little things, the little coupons, blue. right? Yeah, yeah. That's a real thing. And the, and the penetration rate and the open rate and the engagement rate is phenomenal on that. And we would layer that with what we were doing on television, newspaper, and radio. And it was a real thing. It was a way to really know the customer, to define that persona. So understanding the legacy of newspaper, because I came back on newspaper and they hired me to, I used to work at Google and they would say, the Cox said, Turn us into Google. Really? It's your newspaper. Like, I don't know if that's going to be a thing. But we were able to innovate and put together the platforms and do all of that cool stuff. I'm going to tell one little story. This is my advice. You move forward when you do the work that other people don't want to do. 
That has been a game changer for me. How I got into digital marketing programmatic is because I had a boss, bless him, good guy, won't name him. He got an email that they asked the question, why did X, Y, and Z happen? He said, I'm going to play golf. You go and figure that out. <laughs> it should be an email. And so I, of course, I never take that. I was digging. I said, you know what? There's money loss here and there's good opportunity here. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, love. Okay, fine. Take a couple days and figure that out. Started digging up some more things. He said, all right, fine. Take two weeks and figure it out already. Put a, put a deck together. I did. So I said, here's the deck. And I tried to explain. He said, I don't want to hear that. Go explain it to my boss. He's SVP. Go tell him about it. I told him about it. Guess what he did? He sent me to the head of marketing. And he said, I like that. So you're in charge of that now. That's your new job. I said, well, no, I mean, there should be some people that do that. They're like, yeah, you're the people. And guess what? A star was born. But it was just because they didn't want to do that. So sometimes the dirty work is the, is the stuff that makes the difference. Just... Just happened to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he came to me looking for a job later. But he's a nice guy. He learns. So sometimes do the work. Let me ask you, what do you think hinders digital transformation within a company? So many things. Talk so about many. it. Talk about it. Everybody talks. We're getting a big game. But I'll let you go first. I know. I'm going to talk about healthcare in general. And you guys are all familiar with this because... There's fun parts to the job, which is like, are the, we were the official. I was part of the official healthcare team with UGA and got to go, go to a lot of football games and get, go to the president suite. And they served alcohol there. And uh, so that's the fun part. The not so fun part is digital transformation in healthcare because healthcare is a very, very complicated system. It's a third of our GDP. It needs it. And if you break your toe, like I think I did two nights ago, or if you have a stomach virus or COVID, you're gonna have to go see a doctor or urgent care. And, and then you're gonna have to deal with insurance. You're gonna have to deal with getting an insurance bill that you're not supposed to pay, but it's just has a lot of dollars in it. That doesn't make sense. And you're gonna have to deal with the actual payment. And you're like, mom, like, do I pay this? And you're like, they're like, no, you shouldn't pay it because you have insurance from UGA and then you have to fight with insurance and then you get the prescription for your medication and then they're like, sorry, this was rejected. And, and again, it's all manual. You have to do it by the phone. You got to go to the pharmacy. Or you got to go call the insurance company. You got to go to the hospital or doctor's office. All, everything just manual. You got to sign paper forms. Even when you check in, like write your name down here on the sticker. Like who the hell uses stickers? <laughs> So digital transformation is really tough in healthcare because you have to undo all of that. And there's a way of there's a way that we've been doing this for years, right? And and so you gotta convince people why it's better for the customer, why it makes more money, why it's better for the employees, for the doctors, all these people that have power. And trying to tell that story in a cohesive way that where they can even understand it. Remember, we still facts in healthcare, right? So try to talk about digital transformation, try to talk about APIs, try to talk about, oh my goodness. And so it's really tough because of the way that things have been done. And a lot of people just don't understand it. And so you have to be very good at explaining why this is a problem, sell the vision, do the work that no one else wants to do. That's why we're in this rut today in our healthcare system in our country and make a name for yourself for it. 
Edie, what do you think about digital transformation? What's hindering it? What it is and what's hindering it? So I'm going to come from the technology perspective because this is where you hear it the most. Whenever I hear a company say digital transformation, one is that you're the incumbent business in this particular industry. And two, you are a laggard now. This is the only time where the words digital transformation ever comes up in that context because no startup ever says, we went through digital transformation. <laughs> because we're there from the get-go. They were transformed. Right? Like, like, like we're started digital. We were born digital. And that's why that. all these large companies have to buy these smaller companies sometimes to try to get more innovation. But then they don't realize like they're just smothering and killing it because they're still transforming and they don't know how to be digital. And then so a lot of my work with larger companies is really doing that because it gets more into technology stuff like, hey, you're built on technology from 30 years ago and all of a sudden you want all these new things to happen, new services, new ideas that's never occurred. So think about it. Like if you went to your grandma's house, right? It's like a ranch house. And it's in the nice little neighborhood. And then all of a sudden, that neighborhood starts to renovate, right? Like houses get torn down and all of a sudden, you're going to make mansions show up and things like that. But that is for a complete teardown. And most companies, guess what? You've been in business for 30 years. You're the incumbent. You cannot afford a teardown. And then you cannot, you're like, hey, we're going to stop our business for three months. And then we're going to, or longer, three years, and then do this build ground up. So what they decide to do is that they decide to renovate, right? This is what digital transformation is. It's actually digitally renovating your grandma's house. And, and you can do it the right way or the wrong way. So sometimes people are like, oh, my customers want a basement. That's where, that's where it is. The money is in the basement. Can you really dig out a basement while you're living in that house? <laughs> And you can probably build up, build out, but that basement is never going to be your space. They're like, oh, we'll buy a company that's a basement. We'll integrate with a basement. The basement doesn't need to be in this house. It can be another house. Did you say you need the basement in this house? And this is literally what's happening in companies, right? And But in reality, at the end of the day, you want this house that's a ranch to look as good as the new McMansion that's next door be equally as functional. And that could happen, but potentially it takes you many, many more years because you're living inside the house. And potentially you have five, six contractors come in over 10 years to renovate your house. And then you know how that goes. So this is the picture inside of these big companies. They want to be as cool as shiny serving their customers the way that they should today and the way that today the market, the buyers want it, but they can't function that well until they can get there. And this process is arduous and it takes time. It takes a lot of effort. It takes people that are curious, that are disciplined, that are focused to be able to execute. And then if you are one of these people that's interested in doing that, there's a lot of opportunities in that particular area. And especially I think in marketing as well is that you have to tell the story to existing customers, not just new customers, that the, these existing customers want to bail. Because they see shiny new startups doing the things in healthcare that your system can't do because it's just not designed that way. But you have to tell the story to your customers that, hey, 
We are transforming. This is the first phase. This is what you're going to see. Here are the great benefits. We're going to deliver you the service and the care that you're reliable on, but we're going to do better for you. And we're going to show you this is how we do better. So there's a lot of storytelling in what we do and then understanding what are we trying to accomplish as a business and then how we're trying to do it for our customers. And then that is where all of you come in as storytellers to help people understand how does that progression will work. So I think I have the last part of this question. And I would say all of that, I agree with everything these guys are saying. And just to piggyback on that, the plan, right? So when people say digital transformation, there are also the executives are thinking, okay, there's a lot of money we're going to have to spend. They're thinking vendors, they're thinking products. I say think plan. What's the plan? You're not going to get it all done in a very short time frame. So figure out where you want to make the change first and introduce that to the organization, get buy-in on that piece of it, and just start somewhere. Because usually when digital transformation happens, they're like, we just got to rip it all up. We just got to gut the place, right? And you have some things that are really, really great foundationally. Focus on those things that you do really well, even if they're not all automated, get that refined, and then make it be like a rolling roadmap so that you can actually accomplish things. Because you guys have tried to clean a room before, right? And if you just take everything and just snatch it out of the closet and just throw it all, you just got a big mess, right? So I think it's better to have some type of plan on how you're going to do it and a blueprint and have an agreement on that and then build from there. And the digital transformation is an evolution and making sure that that's a communication within the organization and to your customers and then decide the tools that work and make sure that you have measurable outcomes for that. Marketing has changed so drastically. I mean, so drastically. It used to be, you know, just buy a Super Bowl ad and we're done, right? We just buy the primetime television shows and radio and, and send some direct mail and be done. How do you see marketing changing over the next five to 10 years as you, as like you talked about ChatGPT, AI, you're talking about blockchain, you're talking about metaverse, but how do you see the future of marketing when you look at five, and I know it's, it's the wild west, so it's changing. What do you think? Okay, I'm going to make it quick. I know we're running short on time, but actually when I was in college, someone offered me a job at this company called Google. Uh, I worked in the computer student center uh, and my boss was like, hey, I'm going to quit college. I'm like, what? You can't do that. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to work for this company called Google. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> and like, they're looking for database admins. You want in? I'm like, mm, uh, no, nah, I'm going to get my degree and make money and be a doctor. <laughs> anyway, he's retarded. Five years. Okay, yeah. So here's, here's the vision that I think any industry should strive for towards, I know this is like a way overused term, but number one is omni-channel experience. <laughs> so basically it's not like marketing in every channel that you're interacting with, but it's how do we use every channel that you're touching, whether it's in person, online, even AI or chatbots to make it a seamless experience. So if you are interacting with whatever you are interacting with, whatever store or brand, then how is it all connected into one they know who you are and, and, and your experience is seamless and it's easy. So that's what I think we still struggle with today because there's a lot of technology that still needs to be built to do that. And that is still, I think, a possible goal to make a personalized, individualized, omni-channel experience. I think it's possible. Now it is possible. And so with, with things like AI, it's going to make it even more possible, especially with customer interaction and even more efficiency, increasing efficiency with 
copywriting or copy editing. Yeah. God bless them. And even creative, like graphic design, it's all going to be possible and a lot faster. And, yeah. and a lot of times content is the holdup on making these experiences. And I don't think it's going to be the hold the holdup anymore. It's not going to be the bottleneck. So that's my two cents. Right. Edie? I think creativity into thinking about where you can advertise and where media lives. It's totally different than what it is today in terms like the rails that's available. I love the story of Will I Am for the Super Bowl. If you've never heard the story, Will I Am did this interview. I think it's called Master of Scale, Reed Hoffman's podcast. Listen to that one. That is a clinic in creativity of how do you create brand impressions. And basically, he took his opportunity for the Super Bowl and the Black Eyed Peas performance to be able to do a couple of things. He promoted the Black Eyed Peas. He had Beats headphones on. And then he, he actually said, we want a logo during this halftime show to be on the grass of the field. And, and they said, we, we, don't, we don't do brand logos. They're like, no, it, no it's going to be the Black Eyed Peas logo. You did the stones, you did the lips and everything. We want our logo. But inside the Black Eyed Peas logo, he inserted the Beats B on the field. He actually, he was actually promoting Salesforce at the time. Mm -hmm. And then there was no slots. So they did this really creative way. He said, I need need to buy a slot that bookends my halftime show. And they're like, there's no more slots. We sold them all. And then he's like, well, if I trim my time of performance by a minute, then you create another ad spot. You make more money from a premium brand. And, and then they did some really cool interactive things during the show with the commercial. So he created opportunity number two. And, and then so things like that, you can think about like, hey, how do you create something out of nothing? I met this startup owner, this woman, about two weeks ago here. And she creates a product called Strapped. And it's a tampon vending machine, right? It's just something in the bathrooms. And normally, like, those things never work. And you put the money and you can't get the thing out. Or there's like, happens. Yeah, I know. You just want diapers in the men's bathroom, vending machines. I think that would be, like, those. a huge don't hit. Need yeah. And for, for your child. Uh, oh, I think for, for me. For your child. Yeah, okay. For your child. Well, you don't bring your diaper back. But, but. She, she is very creative. She said, she said, I am not, my customers are not the women that's using him. My customers are the brands that are premium organic brands that want to have sampling. And, uh, and they're designed nicely. They have a mirror. She, she's a startup. She's like a solopreneur. This woman's incredible. And, and then I said, oh, okay. So she's pitching investors. I said, well, you're not a tampon vendor. I said, you are out of home media channel right? Like you're a billboard advertisement for sampling and then you can sample anything. She's like, oh my gosh, you get it. You get it. She's like, I want to be the person that then when you go to a club, there's like a creepy woman standing there (laughs) that, you know, when you're washing your hands and your stuff, she's like, but on that counter, there's like a billion things to try like perfumes and all sorts of stuff. She's like everything on that bathroom counter. She's like, those are my brands. Wow, wow, that's incredible. These are, they're going to be my customers. So I think the opportunities are endless in terms of placement, in terms of where do you get your impressions in real life, like really IRL stuff. I think that's kind of the creativity 
of content? And then how do you bring from a digital world into a physical world? There's a lot of opportunity there to be explored. So for me, quickly, I'll just say, I really work with my clients to think about process and automation. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. And it's worth doing in a repeatable fashion. And a lot of people get afraid of AI and computers and you're going to take over the world and you won't need intelligence of human intelligence. That's nonsense. I think it's absolute nonsense. I think that we are going to get the ability to go faster and be more intelligent with using AI. But I just personally think the automation of what you're doing is is the best thing. You want to be able to have efficient work. You want to be able to do the work that matters and take out some of the waste. And if you have five people to do something that one person could do, that's a poor use of time. It doesn't mean that the other four people don't have a job. It means that they're doing something that's more valuable. And I like to work with organizations around organizational design as they're figuring out their marketing team, what's important, what are you doing that really actually moves the needle, that drives revenue, and who's doing it, and what obstacles can you take out of their way. And that's what platforms will do for you. That's what MarTech platforms will do for you. They're supposed to do that for you. And if they're not doing that, then that's a problem. But you have to be able to measure it. So you got to know what problem you're solving. And then you have to be able to make these processes repeatable. So I think that's the automation, the speed, and the efficiency is what's next. So what made you want to start Marta? Oh, great question. So for me, the easy route was to continue in corporate. I mean, honestly, that was the easy route for me. I, I did enough work. I was always eager to do any work. Even if I had an elevated title, I was like, I'll, I want to do whatever the work is. I just didn't care about that. I wanted to get my hands dirty. I was always very active in the process. And I think that's what keeps you learning, to be honest with you. You have to be able to be hands on keyboard as much as possible. And so being that close to the work and being that close to the people doing the work, you find out the inefficiencies of the work. You find out what's not working. You find out what's taking so long. You, you guys probably hear me saying that a lot, automation, process. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing right, it's worth doing in a repeatable fashion, in an efficient fashion. And I started to see what the gaps were. And usually the problems that would kind of hold people up and while they couldn't do something was something really simple. Like maybe they didn't have the information or maybe they didn't know the right contact or maybe they didn't have the right platform. And they would spend, people were always very creative around working around a problem. We don't have the answer that I'm going to use something I used before or I'm going to ask Jane Doe and Jane Doe's pro- or, or John Doe's process may have been kind of broken. People were always afraid to ask the question and they didn't want to appear like they didn't know what they were doing. So being able to sit there elbow to elbow, I was able to see where the problems were. I was able to see where the gaps are. I was able to see where things would break down in the process. And from there, I started thinking about like these very large companies I was working for, like Salesforce and Intercon, heading up global marketing there, working at Cox for eight years and being at Google. And then I worked for New York City Human Resource Department and we rolled in Oracle platforms. And I started seeing where the breakdown, and a lot of times the breakdown was you build all this fancy stuff, you have this problem you're trying to solve, but the end user's like, I didn't want that. We didn't need that. Why did you build that? Why are you giving us that? That's not what we need. And if you're doing all this work and the person who's receiving it at the end didn't want it, it becomes like a game of telephone. Something broke down in the middle. So for me, it was about how do I help enterprise clients kind of cut through that 
and build something and have something within the organization and to their customer, B2B, B2C, B2P, which is provider and healthcare. How do they build something that people actually want? And how is it timely? Because what I wanted five years ago, I don't want today. I think in the healthcare, we work a lot in HLS space. So if you're creating something for someone who's 19 years old and they're not thinking about a family, but 10 years from now when they have a child, then they're going to be caring about something different. So if you build something it took too long to get to market and it's it's lagging behind, then, then what are you even doing? So Mardak came out of that desire to want to make things easier and more efficient. And also, it also came from the annoyance of sitting in rooms and having people explain technology. And the only people that knew was the person who was selling it to you and the person who was the IT guy or girl. They were the only one. Everybody else was just nodding and eating the donuts because they were afraid to ask the question about what, this, how does this help me? And I said in those meetings, and it was really good sandwiches and things like that, but I just, after you get the car brush and the sugar cookies, you're like, well, why am I still sitting here? Like, I don't care. And you get the card and you move on. And I was like, there's got to be a better way than this. And so that's what it came from, that desire to make things go faster, to make sense of it. And to make money, help the client make money off of what they bought. If you paid X millions for it, you wanted to make some money. And you actually kind of want to know when. Put money in a slot machine, you want to know, can I pull the lever now? Or when will I get a return on my investment? And you want to know that before you've paid for something for two or three years. And so that's what Mardad is, just to have that very honest conversation and help people actually make sense and articulate that to their managers. You never want to be stuck on the elevator, having spent several million dollars on a platform, and they said, well, how's it going? Because that happens. How's it going? How is X, Y, and Z implementation? Oh, it's good. No, that's not the answer, mm-hmm. right? So we help you get that sound bite and then back it up with something so you feel comfortable and your chest pops out a little bit. You're confident. You got a little pep in your step because you know why you did something and you know that it's actually going to get you there. So that's why. Great. Next question. Mine's kind of like more generic, but it was asked to me in an interview and I really liked it. So they were just asking, what are your passions and what gets you out of bed every morning? Like what motivates you guys? I like to do new things all the time. So it's like, okay, what can we try? What can we experiment with? And and then kind of personally and professionally, like I've, I've never... Like during COVID, this is just like a funny personal thing that like my daughter was like eight when it first started and then it was spring break and you can't go anywhere. So me and my husband's like, well, we can't go anywhere. And she doesn't really know what's going on at eight, right? You can't see your friends. You can't do anything. So we actually said, oh, you know what? I like to cook personally. And what we're going to do is that we're actually going to create like family trips somewhere digitally. He may like Delta boarding passes. We're going to go to a different country every day. And we're going to like watch video, like YouTube videos curated. And then we're actually going to cook a menu from like whatever that country is. So I was like, well, I don't know. What do people eat in Malaysia? Like, like and then you Google it and you find some recipes and things like that. So every day, just kind of, I love to kind of think about what else is out there and what can you do and how every day you see it from the lens of a different perspective. And then sometimes it's a lens of your customer, right? You have lots of different customers. And then one thing that somebody taught me that's super important, they're like, you are not your customer. So don't be the pseudo customer, even though you're the product person, don't be the pseudo customer. Even when I was in that hotel business, you were like, oh, we are all customers of hotel business, but you're not every segment of customer. I'm not a row warrior business customer that spends over 200 nights 
away from my family on the road. Like, I'm not that person. So, and don't assume that you are. So any time that you can actually see it from a different person's perspective of that day, I'm excited about, I'm excited to listen and learn to whatever that thing is that they do that I don't do internally or externally. And, and then what do I do with that takeaway? Can I make it actionable towards something in addition to like, oh, thanks, great stuff, yeah. Can I make it actionable? Can I do something with it? Can I be helpful in some way? So that's what I enjoy about the day is just learning about people, what they do, what they need. And then like Lev said, building those relationships and then be genuinely curious. I mean, I I think for me, it's just, it's more of how to make things less boring, just being honest, right? Sometimes you're, you're working on something and it's just boring. Like, oh my gosh, it's the worst. But it's usually like that because you don't know why the person's doing it. Right. So how do you make life into the problem? Why? How do you get to the essence of why you're doing it anyway? And for me, that's that's kind of like the fun part about it. Taking something kind of high level. We want to get X return on investment on X product. OK, yeah, that's really only fun for the finance guy. Everybody else is like, well, what, is, what does it mean to me? Right. And being able to kind of take that problem and breaking it down so everybody gets excited because they see who's on first, who's on second. I used to run track in in high school, middle school, college, and I always thought that it was the person at the end and the person in the, in the front that made the, the most of the impact to who won. But really what people don't understand is everybody on the team and it's the beauty of the transition, right? And everybody has to be clued in on when they jump in. Right. It's not just when the baton comes to you that that's when you are activated. It's you are watching the entire part of the race and you're physically with that person as they're doing their leg. So when it's your turn, you're activated and you're always engaged. So how do you take a problem you're trying to solve? Stay constantly engaged, even when John's working on the marketing piece or Mary's working on the IT or someone else is selling it. How do you stay engaged in all components of it? So for me, it's taking the boring out and trying to figure out how to activate and keep everyone engaged from beginning to end and then make money at the end of that. Excellent. Well, thank you, speakers. I really appreciate you coming in today. I'd like to give you give you all a round of applause. Well, signing off, this is Glenn Caruso from the University of Georgia, Grady College, with my class of advertising, marketing, and PR people. Thanks so much for today. Thanks, guys. <laughs>